Hi, everybody. It's Derek, and this is your Foreign Exchanges World News Roundup for Tuesday, October 31st, 2023. Uh, there are a couple of anniversaries today. On October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther mailed his 95 theses to the Archbishop of Mentz. Uh, this is the event that has come to mark the start of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, he is also more famously said to have nailed the text to the door of All Saints Church in Wittenberg, though Luther's own recounting of events raises questions about whether he did so on October 31st or really ever. Uh, it's entirely possible that he did, uh, although uh, while this event has been cast as a stunning display of rebellion uh, by history, posting disputations in a public place like, say, the door to a city's church was fairly common practice at the time. So it's entirely, again, entirely possible that he actually did it. Whatever actually happened, it is safe to say that word got around about the theses uh, as history later played out. Uh, also on October 31st, 1917, the British uh, Egyptian Expeditionary Force defeated the Ottoman Empire's Yildirim Army Group at the Battle of Beersheba. This battle was won with, of all things, a cavalry charge, perhaps the last successful cavalry charge in military history. The outcome broke what had been a frozen conflict in the Levant and began Britain's march on Jerusalem, which it captured in December. On to the news. In the Middle East, we start uh, with Israel-Palestine, where Israeli airstrikes decimated the Jabalia refugee camp in northern Gaza on Tuesday. Information is still incoming, but medical officials have so far estimated a death toll over 50, with the potential to be far over 50 once all the bodies have been recovered from the rubble. Scores of people have been wounded. Uh, this time around, Israeli officials didn't bother insisting that it wasn't them. Instead, uh, Israeli Defense Forces or IDF spokesperson Richard Hecht told CNN that quote, there was a very senior Hamas commander, end quote, in the camp who was apparently among the dead. Uh, the IDF and its mostly Western enablers will undoubtedly claim that the presence of that senior Hamas official makes the attack justifiable under international law. This is the human shield defense. Uh, but that's a willful misinterpretation. The laws of war oblige combatants to avoid or minimize civilian casualties in strikes against military targets and to consider proportionality. While that is admittedly and deliberately subjective, there is a no reasonable definition of proportionate under which the sacrifice of more than 50 civilians uh, and maybe well over 50 civilians can be justified by the death of one Hamas commander, no matter how senior. The Israelis may also argue that the scale of the destruction suggests that their bombs hit some sort of Hamas munitions stockpile. Again, regardless of target, the onus is on them to minimize civilian casualties, something it is very hard to say that they would have done here in attacking a known refugee camp. Uh, elsewhere, uh, it's gotten drowned out by the refugee camp strike, but the second phase of Israel's Gaza operation continued on Tuesday with reports of more battles between militants and IDF ground forces in and around Gaza City. At least two Israeli soldiers were killed in the fighting on Tuesday. The Israeli military believes that some 800,000 Gazans have evacuated south now, per the IDF's orders, but that still leaves some 300,000 civilians in northern Gaza and may not account for people who evacuated and then returned home after finding conditions in southern Gaza were no better or safer. The IDF is at a point where it may simply declare anyone who hasn't evacuated to be ipso facto an enemy combatant, even though that group includes, for example, hospital patients who cannot leave and medical personnel who refuse to abandon their patients. Uh, Israeli security forces killed at least two Palestinians in separate raids in the West Bank on Tuesday. One Palestinian who was wounded in a raid on Monday also died on Tuesday. This brings the total number of Palestinians killed in the West Bank and East Jerusalem since October 7th to at least 122.
AFP is reporting that the Egyptian government will begin allowing wounded Gazans to pass through the Rafah checkpoint to seek medical care from Wednesday. Plans are apparently for 81 people to enter Egypt initially. They'll be treated at a field hospital being set up in northern Sinai. Uh, there's still no word at this point whether foreign nationals currently trapped in Gaza will also be allowed to leave, nor is there any indication that the promised increases in aid shipments into Gaza will materialize. Uh, there have been apparently been modest increases in daily shipments over the past two days. But the Israeli government is still capping those shipments at a few dozen truckloads per day, far below what is required because it is insisting on inspecting every truck. Uh, Yemen's Houthi rebels on Tuesday fired a barrage of missiles and drones at Israel. The IDF says that uh, its air defenses intercepted two waves of projectiles heading toward the southern Israeli city of Eilat. Uh, you may recall that the Houthis launched a handful of cruise missiles toward Israel earlier this month that were shot down by a U.S. destroyer in the Red Sea. This time around, it appears they used ballistic missiles. More importantly, they claimed responsibility for this attack and promised more to come. Houthi activity like this risks restarting the war in Yemen, more on that below, and risks pulling Iran and its other regional proxies into a wider war. And sure, it is possible they're doing this under orders from Tehran, but they may well be acting on their own volition, and it's impossible to know for certain. Uh, this new Houthi attack also raises some interesting questions, I think, about the two still mysterious projectiles that struck the Egyptian towns of Nueva and Taba a few days ago. Uh, we covered that in the newsletter. Given their proximity to Eilat, uh, the likeliest, likeliest scenario seemed to be, and still probably seems to be, that they were stray rockets out of Gaza, but the Houthis offer at least another possibility. Uh, it turns out that the U.S. military has been deploying special forces to Israel since October 7th, ostensibly to help in hostage recovery efforts. Taken at face value, this seems reasonable, particularly given that there are still believed to be U.S. nationals among the captives. But there's not much reason to believe that this is the only thing they're doing in Israel. Uh, so the real question is, how involved are they in the Israeli ground operation? Regardless, uh, the U.S. can't wash its hands of what's happening given its material support for the IDF. On that same subject, Hamas officials said on Tuesday that they're planning to release some foreign hostages, quote, in the next few days, end quote. That is all vague enough to be essentially meaningless, but I suppose time will tell. Uh, the Bolivian government on Tuesday severed its diplomatic relationship with Israel over the war in Gaza, seemingly in response to the Jabalia attack. Bolivia's interim foreign minister, Maria Nela Prada, characterized Israel's actions as crimes against humanity in explaining the decision. Bolivia cut ties with Israel under former President Evo Morales, but restored them in 2020 after the coup that removed him from power. It's the first country to take this step over the Gaza war, but may well not be the last. The Chilean and Colombian governments recalled their ambassadors from Israel on Tuesday, so they're probably front of the line to follow Bolivia's lead. In other international news, the Japanese government on Tuesday blacklisted nine individuals and one entity allegedly tied to Hamas and its finances. Although Joe Biden has publicly expressed fairly un unambiguous opposition to the idea of resettling Gazan residents elsewhere, i.e. in Egypt, Speaking Security's Stephen Semler uh, broke down in a piece today the Biden administration's recent newsletter piece, uh, its recent $106 billion budget request in Congress, and he argues that it contains as much as $9.2 billion that could be intended to support both a short-term and then long-term relocation. The budget request doesn't spell this out overtly, but given that we know the Israeli government is internally debating the idea of a mass expulsion, I think Semler's theory has to be considered plausible at least. 
Over at The Intercept, Ryan Grimm and Prem Thakar say they've been able to check the accuracy of the Gazan Health Ministry's casualty count using a subset of the list of dead Gazans it produced last week and found it to be quite accurate. The Biden administration has, in keeping with tradition, tried to cast doubt on those figures in order to cover for the Israeli campaign, but it has no basis for that doubt in the Intercept's findings supplement statements from a number of international organizations that say they've found the ministry's figures to be accurate in past Gazan conflicts. The ministry announced on Tuesday that the death toll in Gaza since October 7th has passed 8,500, with potentially many more uncounted dead beneath all the rubble the IDF has created. In Yemen, Bloomberg is reporting that, quote, Saudi Arabia's military has gone into a state of high alert, end quote, after a battle with Houthi fighters along the Saudi-Yemeni border last week left at least four Saudi soldiers dead. They are the first casualties the Saudis have suffered in battle with Houthi fighters since the two sides reached a since-expired ceasefire in April 2022. The Saudis also reportedly intercepted a Houthi missile at some point in the past few weeks. I don't know exactly when that is, uh, but it's unclear from the reporting whether that missile was heading toward a Saudi target or shall we say elsewhere, uh, uh, i.e. Israel. Uh, a Houthi drone strike, you may recall, last month along the border killed four Bahraini soldiers. In Iraq, the Ain al-Assad airbase came under drone attack again on Tuesday. That facility houses U.S. forces and has been targeted repeatedly by Iraqi militias since the start of the Gaza war. Indeed, it was targeted by rockets the previous day. Uh, neither of these latest incidents caused any casualties or significant damage to the facility. In Saudi Arabia, oil production cuts are taking a bit out, bit out of the Saudi economy, uh, which shrank by 4.5% in the third quarter of this year. Uh, the Saudis, of course, uh, made these cuts in order to keep oil prices high, and they've worked in that sense, but it seems the high price is not overcoming the decline in sales. Saudi oil activity declined by 17.3% year over year, while the rest of its economy, uh, the rest of the Saudi economy, I should say, actually grew a bit by about 3.6%. Moving on to Asia, in India, militants killed one police officer and wounded two others in two incidents in India's Manipur state on Tuesday. Authorities believe that members of the Kuki community, which has been engaged in an intercommunal conflict with the majority Mai Tai community for several months now, were responsible for killing a police officer at a construction site in one incident. The second incident, an ambush of a police convoy that left two officers wounded, seems to be unattributed at present. In Bangladesh... Another round of opposition protests calling for Prime Minister Sheikh Hasina's resignation left at least two protesters dead on Tuesday. Uh, Police in the uh, Kishoraganj, sorry, doing the best I can here, Kishoraganj district of Bangladesh's Dhaka region, my apologies again, are claiming that the protesters attacked them and say they responded with rubber bullets. It's unclear how the protesters were killed, but it seems reasonable to conclude that police were involved. The Bangladesh Nationalist Party is demanding Hassan's resignation and the installation of a caretaker government to minimize the chances of fraud in January's general election. In Myanmar, the Biden administration on Tuesday partially sanctioned the state-owned Myanmar oil and gas enterprise, blocking U.S. individuals and entities from engaging in a number of financial transactions, but not barring the firm completely from the U.S. financial network. The administration also blacklisted five individuals and three entities said to be linked to the Myanmar military. 
Uh, and Chinese Minister of Public Security Wang Xiaohong visited Myanmar on Tuesday to discuss the emerging security crisis along the Chinese border in Myanmar's Shan state. Uh, you may recall the Brotherhood Alliance rebel group opened a new offensive in northern Shan over the weekend and has reportedly seized several security outposts. On to Africa and Sudan. The Rapid Support Forces paramilitary group claimed on Monday that its fighters had seized control of Belila Airport in West in Sudan's West Kordofan state. According to the RSF, the Sudanese military has been launching aircraft from that facility, so its loss is another blow to the military's capabilities. The seizure comes just a few days after the RSF captured the city of Niala in Sudan's South Darfur state, so the group appears to have some momentum building in its favor. Uh, in Mali, uh, the Permanent Strategic Framework, or CSP Rebel Alliance, said on Tuesday that its forces had taken control of a newly abandoned former United Nations outpost in the strategic northern town of Kidal. UN peacekeepers had just withdrawn from that facility earlier in the day, uh, with their final outpost in the Kidal region. The seizure sets up a potential clash between the rebels and the Malian military, which has, has been assuming control of these facilities as the UN withdraw, withdraws and presumably intends to assume control of this one as well. Uh, in Niger, Islamic State West African province fighters uh, attacked a village in northeastern Nigeria's Yobe State late Monday, uh, killing at least 17 people. According to AFP, villagers uh, had refused to pay a tax uh, to the group, or to pay taxes, rather, to the group. Uh, ISWAP raises significant revenue by extorting communities in its stomping grounds uh, for these so-called tax payments. Uh, Yobe borders uh, the group's main stomping ground, which is Borno State, but ISWAP fighters have been increasingly active in Yobe as well in recent months. Uh, in Europe, in Ukraine, the Director of Coordination for the UN's Humanitarian Affairs Office, Ramesh Rajasingham, told the UN Security Council on Tuesday that some 18 million Ukrainians, or over 40 percent rather of that country's population, are in need of humanitarian aid. Uh, and that's now. Once winter sets in, the need will only grow. Much of Ukraine's civilian infrastructure, including power and heat, is still heavily damaged. And if the Russian military makes that infrastructure a priority target again this year, and there are indications that it, it is uh, making it a priority target, uh, that will also make the situation much worse. Uh, apparently, the UN's $3.9 billion funding request for this year is still 40% unfunded. So its operations in Ukraine are limited as a result. In Montenegro, that country's parliament voted on Tuesday to confirm a new government uh, led by the Europe Now Party and headlined by new Prime Minister Miloš Kospadžić. Uh, sorry if I'm mangling that. Uh, Europe Now won June's parliamentary election, but only took 24 seats, which is well short of a majority in the 81-seat legislature. Hence the extended uh, from June through October coalition talks. Took them a while. Uh, the coalition that emerged consists of seven parties, including the Russia-friendly For the Future of Montenegro Party, which is an interesting fit within a government that aims to advance Montenegro's European Union accession. Uh, in the Americas, in Guyana, the Guyanese government appealed to the UN's International Court of Justice on Monday to stop a planned referendum in neighboring Venezuela. The referendum will ask voters whether or not Venezuela should annex the Essequibo region, the western portion of Guyana. The Venezuelan government has long held that its true eastern border is the Essequibo River, which runs through Guyana north to south. 
in the late 19th century, Venezuela and the UK, Guyana being a UK colony at the time, uh, took the dispute to international arbitration, and the UK won. Venezuelan officials uh, rejected the ruling and have uh, disputed the issue ever since. Uh, the discovery of oil deposits uh, in the region and the possibility of energy deposits in its coastal waters have made the dispute more intense in recent years. Uh, and finally, in the United States, Andre Mazarino, Andrea Mazzarino at Tom Dispatch considers the lessons the Israeli government should really take away from the U.S. response to the 9-11 attacks. And I'll read you just a couple of paragraphs here uh, from the introduction to her piece. Reacting to the terrorist attacks by the Palestinian militant group Hamas that killed more than 1,400 Israelis, Americans have been remarkably focused on whether we should support Israel or the residents of Gaza. In either case, we act as if Israel's only possible decision was whether or not to launch a war against Gaza. In the country that waged a disastrous 20-year global war on terror in response to the 9-11 attacks, it seems strange that there's been so little discussion about what such a decision might mean in the long term. Going to war is just that, one decision among many possibilities including taking steps to strengthen and democratize the states where such armed militias may otherwise flourish. As a co-founder of Brown University's Costs of War project, it's become a focus of mine to show just what's happened to us because our government, more than two decades after the 9-11 attacks, continues to fight a war on terror, whatever that may mean, in some 85 countries. We've armed foreign militaries, flown our drones in a devastating fashion, run prisons, often in places with far laxer human rights standards than ours, trained foreign militaries, and sometimes fought directly alongside them. Uh, and I'll leave it to you to read the rest of this excerpt and click through and read the piece. But suffice to say, we've spent, as she says, more than $8 trillion uh, in that war on terror. Uh, we're now sending billions of dollars in aid to Ukraine and Israel. And imagine what you could do with that money here in the United States. Uh, and then look at all the good that it's done being spent on the war on terror, which is to say nothing really. Uh, and it's hard to, to miss the lesson there. So uh, on that note, uh, that's all for us tonight. Thanks to all of you for reading and or listening to the newsletter and happy Halloween uh, if you're uh, celebrating that sort of thing. Uh, and uh, until next time, take care and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.